Lacrosse All-Stars presents In Your Face LaxCast. Unfiltered opinions on the most controversial topics in the game of lacrosse. I'm Ryan Dennehy, former Division I college and pro player and Division I college coach, currently living and coaching in the city of Philadelphia. I'm joined with my co-host, Andy Towers, the legend, former Division I college head coach, MLL All-Star, three-time All-American, and arguably the best to ever play the midfield position. Each show, we dive into the world of lacrosse from high school, college, to pro, as well as bring on special guests. You can subscribe to us via iTunes and check us out on Twitter at InYourFaceLax for more information. Enjoy the show. Hearts getting torn from your mistakes. Welcome to the show. We're really excited to have Pat McEwen, Lax Film Room. I'm sure you've all heard of him. Uh, whether you love him or you hate him, you have to respect him. He's certainly changed our game in a lot of ways by producing as many films as probably college coaches do on a daily basis. Uh, he's produced a ton of vines. He's gotten well over 5 to 10 million views on his vines. I'm probably stretching it there, Pat. Uh, but we're oh, really no, excited more than that. to have you on. It's more than that now. <laughs> wow. Well, there's between so the two many, of them, they're each at like 10 million. I think in total, it's getting to like 25. 25 million, 25 million loops on Vine. Now, Pat, you weren't always the Vine guy. Uh, I actually feel like I've known you for a while now. Many people don't necessarily know that. They see you and I argue all the time on Twitter, uh, but they don't necessarily know that you and I are one of the first to meet in person. Uh, up in Ann Arbor and Michigan offices. Uh, but at the same time, you were, and still are, and you still do a lot of YouTube stuff, but you were Mr. YouTube. You did a lot of YouTube videos, a lot of uh, more full-length breakdowns. Uh, but tell us a little bit about yourself, Pat, because I think a lot of people see you uh, behind the keyboard, but not, many, not very many people have actually seen you or heard you live talk live. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, um, so I guess for, for lacrosse purposes, um, the the quick the short history is uh, I grew up in Ohio um, and started playing uh, in a suburb of Toledo um, and kind of uh, I was a pretty decent high school player um, you know we had some team success uh, but I mean nothing nothing compared uh, to the level of play that you guys were at um, I went off to college uh, at Wisconsin and kind of was out of the game for a little bit uh, and I moved back to Ohio. Um, and got into doing some volunteer coaching um, with some junior high kids and was trying to look for clips of stuff on YouTube to send out to them about kind of some of the things we were working on and kind of, you know, some basic scheme stuff that I wanted to run. I couldn't find anything. And so I kind of took it upon myself, and that was kind of the initial motivation for creating the YouTube channel um, was to put these clips on YouTube that I was looking for and couldn't find. Um, And I didn't really expect it to go anywhere. Uh, and then people started discovering it and commenting on the videos. And I would look at them and be like, no, 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 like you got it all wrong. You know, that's not, that's not what you're supposed to be seeing in this clip. That's not why I posted it. Um, and that led to the breakdowns, to kind of doing, drawing the arrows and doing the analysis myself. Uh, and then from yeah. there, that's where you kind of found me. And we, yeah, so we met up. I'll jump, I'll jump in real quick, Pat. So uh, Kenny Brochard, the defense coordinator at Michigan, uh, turned around to me into the office and was like, hey, have you seen these breakdowns? They're pretty cool. And we were interested 
not only in the breakdown, the breakdown was pretty neat, but we were more interested in the way you were actually creating the video. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. certainly at Michigan, I took video to, uh, you know, I, I, I take it to as far lengths as I possibly can. And you basically made me look like a little boy in the video department by doing all these graphics. And, uh, and it was actually really fascinating. So the first thing we did was we got in contact with you and had you come up to the Michigan offices where we met you for the first time. And I, and I don't believe that's the only time you've been called either on the phone or brought to an office before. Am I right, Pat? It was either I, – I think you guys were first. There's a couple other, couple other people had gotten in touch with me around that same time. Um, but you were, we were definitely the first coaching staff that I – really even in the lacrosse world that I ever kind of went to meet and talk about with stuff with. That's pretty neat. That's pretty neat. And then basically from there, it kind of took over. I mean, everyone kind of started noticing you. Uh, you know, certainly with all the followers that we've had, you've had a pretty big voice in our sport. And it's been great. I mean, people challenge you. Uh, people appreciate what you do. Certainly, I appreciate what you do. Uh, I am also one of the first people to challenge you on a daily basis. Uh, but I think it's all really good stuff. <laughs> but you're uh, not the first person to be challenged by RD Pat. <laughs> no. That would be uh, his yeah. brother. It's two minutes after having him. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, I can't imagine that I was the first one. <laughs> so here's the thing, uh, Pat. You know, we kind of wanted to get on here to kind of talk about some of the things that you've currently done. Uh, you know, beyond video, you've written a lot for Inside Lacrosse recently. You've done some face-off statistical analysis, which has been pretty phenomenal. You've also done some uh, next-level stats work with play-by-plays and doing offensive and defensive uh, adjusted efficiencies, as you like to call them. Tell us a little bit about that, and then we'll get into some of the things that you're working on. Um, yeah, so let's start. Face-offs, I kind of I think, are the big the big sort of advanced stat that I am known for. Um, and I do, I do weekly face-off ratings um, of all the guys, all the Division One face-off guys for inside lacrosse. Um, usually comes out on Wednesdays or Thursdays every week. Um, and that, I got the idea just because it's a – kind of a unique thing in sports where you have in a team sport where you have two individual guys who are going head to head at the same thing um, that usually you get like on offense or defense, you have one person defending another and you're doing different things when you get a head to head matchup or like in the case of like goalies, you, they never are directly going against each other unless you get you know, full field clear on occasion. But even then, you know, it's opposites. Uh, and the data set is incredible that you have, Every face-off is being recorded who wins and who loses. Um, the problem with that is there's no, no data beyond that, which makes it a perfect fit uh, for the chess rating algorithm. Uh, so there's a whole history of those you can go read about. And I essentially adapted a uh, chess rating system to face-off guys, not just how many wins and losses, but looking at your opponents. And also there is some time ordering, so the more recent results are weighed more heavily. What are all of the things that go into, uh, obviously, it's wins, losses, you know, recent success, head-to-head, obviously head-to-head, right? That's going to be a huge factor. Yeah, I mean, that's a, it's entirely based upon that. That Basically, it only considers who did you go against. I love that. It's Really, there aren't any factors aside from wins and losses. Uh, I have looked into incorporating violations, but as far as I can tell, there isn't different guys violate and cause or get lucky and have opponents violate at different rates. But as far as I can tell, there's not, I have thought about excluding violations. Hey Pat, sorry to interrupt you. I think that, you know, there definitely has to be 
a variable for that. You know, as you start to go against the very, very best guys and you start to become, you know, more nervous given that your ability to be on the front end of the whistle is such a huge component to being successful, you know, in that area of the game, you would think that the guys with the higher percentages would would draw more violations from their opponents than the guys that traditionally have a lower winning percentage. What would you think about about that? I did think that, but that's actually not true. Not true. I I have tested that. I've looked into that and tested it. And if, or to the extent that it is true, the effect is not very significant. Got it. That top guys don't necessarily have opponents violating against them more often than guys who aren't as good. Actually, do you know who, uh, if you know him, you know who the number one guy was last year in terms of have wins via opponent violations? Um, that's a great stat if you have it. I have no idea. I, I, I would say uh, Stephen Kelly. Nope. Uh, actually, I, I can't, off the top of my head, couldn't tell you how many he had, but it was Brad Lott of Michigan. Interesting. It was about 14% of the time that he faced off his opponent violated, which was wow, so the highest 14, rate. So, so 14, that's, that's, that's incredible. So for that, does that say that 14% of his wins are victories via violation? That, no, that, it was way more than that. He only won like 50%. Like 15% of the total times that he got down on a knee to face off, his opponent violated. Of all of attempts, not of wins. Yes. So like of wins, it was like almost a, like 25% of his wins or 30% of his wins came via violation. Wow. <laughs> That's unbelievable. That's an incredible stat. So... That's pretty phenomenal uh, what you've done in the face-off world. And certainly Andy, he's been coaching and obviously is one of the greatest face-off players of all time uh, in his generation. And still today, you know, his face-off percentages when he was in college were phenomenal. Plus the fact that he put in 150 goals uh, over four years at the midfield is impressive. But he always talks about three things. He always talks about, you know, this is the paper, rock, scissors thing. And, and it's fascinating to see you, you know, try to put some numbers to it and try to break it down in a, a more, you know, black and white than it is, you know, seeing one guy go up another guy. I mean, I love what Andy talks about, you know, face-offs, and he really dives down between one guy's move and another guy's move and which he thinks is going to win. It's fascinating that you can try to put numbers to these events where these two guys are going up and up against each other. And certainly in the last game where Villanova played Brown, you call Garal. Uh, or Gerald, I apologize if I'm butchering his name, uh, you, you called him, uh, you know, he was going to win a lot of his face-offs to himself. I, I believe that was the case. If I'm wrong, Pat, you can tell me. Yeah, oh, well, that was one. I think that's just a case of sometimes there's so little lacrosse media and there's so many teams to cover that you have, you know, there's, a, I don't know, there's a dozen, 20 guys who are trying, you were sort of all national sort of media commentators, whereas in other sports you have more sort of beat reporters who are watching sure. the same team all the time. And that was when, so when guys get a reputation, it's sometimes really hard for them to break it, even if yep. they change in the off season. And I think last year, kind of everybody was into, oh my God, you know, these poles on the wings are just animals. You know, Kemp and Tullet are just picking up so many ground balls and all girl does is quick rake and keep it loose. Uh, and that was true. He only picked up uh, only about... 34%, I want to say, I have to look up the exact number, but only about 34% of his face-off wins came when he picked up the ground ball. 
That's interesting. Which for that's a really top guy is really, is really low. Like Baptiste Williams, um, Don Massimilian are more at like 50%, of even 55, 60%. Uh, that um, number even sounds low. Obviously, you're dead on. You've done the numbers, well, but I can't. But that so, number seems so low relative to the top guys because it seem, it feels like they're winning. You know, eighty percent of the ones that they win, it seems like they're getting to themselves. But you're saying the highest guys were only fifty five percent, Pat, huh? But that that includes like wins via violations, um, which yep. are like five or ten percent of your wins. Also, like yep. any time that there's a loose ball push. That's a win. It's not via violation, but that's a win or a hold. Yeah. It's not, a, not yep. a violation, but it's still a win where there's no ground ball. So the, those it. numbers are higher if you look at what percentage of when, like, a Denver player picks a win the face-off <laughs> via ground ball, how often is it that piece? And those numbers are more like 60%, 70% because it's somewhere about 75 to – it's somewhere in the 70 to 80 range percent of face-offs and in a ground ball or one right. via ground ball. So, uh, so tell us a little bit about – the. You know, I guess it's not new, and I shouldn't say it's new, but I guess for certainly us, it's all new. These offensive, defensive, adjusted efficiencies that you've been doing, they've been really uh, interesting to me uh, just because now you can get a better read on how you're doing, you know, compared nationally against the teams that you're actually playing against. So the the days of, well, I averaged 10 goals a game, uh, at X university, well, that might not be that great actually, because, you know, in terms of adjusting your offensive efficiency, your, your schedule sucks. And of course you're going to score 10 goals a game. You were still one in 13 on the year, but you know, 10 goals means nothing. And, and that's why I appreciate these numbers. So tell us a little bit about the work you've been doing offensive, defensive efficiency. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's something I didn't do a lot of last year because tempo free lacks. That was the one kind of the one stat that they did very well. And it's it's all it's all started. It's a, it's a stat that's stolen from basketball, essentially, where you're looking at not just how many goals you score, but essentially adjusting for opportunity. You're looking at how many goals you score relative to how many possessions did you have. Right. And so the improvement I have made to it over what I believe Tempo Free Lax did, and some other people did in the past, is everybody else was estimating possessions from the box scores where they're looking at a team's offensive possessions are face-off wins plus clear attempts plus opponents failed clears and that gets you pretty close but what i've done i go through i have code that goes through all the play-by-plays and i count possessions that way so every time that there's a turnover or that it changes possession i count and i count a possession um and i end up i compared it to a couple of coaches who go through and do it manually on the on film and i end up counting an extra two or three possessions per game compared to what they count but i'm pretty similar yeah and that's not necessarily true of the box score estimates right for a couple different reasons way off uh i wouldn't say they're way off like they're they're pretty they're they're close enough to be useful if you have if you have no other info true but the two big things are that Notre Dame, when they blitz face-off guys who pick it up and take the ball away from them, that resulted in an extra possession without that's not counted. And also, face-off guys who win it back end up double counting because you get a, a face-off win and a clear attempt on the same possession. Ah, yes. I like that. I have also compared it. There's an interesting phenomenon where if you look at my possession estimates compared to the box score estimates, whoever is the home team and thus whoever has the SID that's recording the stats for the game, uh, they're missing anywhere from about 5% of the possessions to about 20%. Oh, my God. 
and so there's no I have done it where I have looked at if you can look at the correlation where if you look at teams when they play home right I have to think about how I did it but I broke it down where you're looking at style of play if you look at teams home in a way there's no correlation or there it's not it's not based on style of play it's based on where the game is played right if that right. makes sense yeah, and so no, it's that that's Right, that, that I, I have double-checked that against. It's not just that the teams play a certain style and thus they result in a, a discrepancy between my possession counts and the, the box score estimates. It's it's really who the SID is that makes a big difference. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> I love that. So in terms of these offensive and defensive efficiencies, you also put them up against how good the team they're playing. Is that correct, Pat? Yeah, so the basic... The basic process for calculating them is, or for calculating the adjustments, is you adjust for each game based on the opponent. Right. And then you average those single game adjustments to get the team's adjusted efficiency. Love it. And if you do that, you do that like over and over, like a hundred times, and the numbers end up converging to, to what I would call, like what you would call the final adjusted efficiencies. Right. The most, the, Uh, the, the most representative of their performance, you would say, right? I mean, the most adjusted right. number. Right. Well, it's, it's, yes. Um, it's essentially right. it's an algorithm that results in it's, it. Essentially, uses you're trying to use the team's adjusted efficiencies to predict all of the individual game results, and then minimizing the error. I like it. I like it a lot. It's, I mean, that, it's, that that separates the pretenders. That's for sure. An interesting implication of them. One, your podcast on Monday. Uh, the one biggest thing that I took issue with is you guys talking about Maryland. Yeah. And so an interesting, and it's sort of, this is, this will tie into sort of where kind of stats are headed. Um, Let this be known so, that he listens to our podcast, just so everyone knows out there, if you're listening to our podcast, Pat McKee yes. also listens to our podcast. So thanks for the listen, Pat. But come in with the yes. hammer. I know you're going to come in with a massive hammer. We're going to look like tools here, Towers. Okay, so <laughs> one of two. So you'll have two, to guide me. You'll have to guide me through the process, Ryan. You've been through it many times. <laughs> when, from a statistical perspective, when you're looking at should a team play fast or slow, I think this is, this is one too. When you talk about applications and where kind of things are headed, the biggest factor is the more off, the higher the value of possession, the slower you should play. Does that make sense? Which is which is true in Denver and Maryland, right? I mean, yep. Well, but no, no, not Maryland, because Maryland. So, if you look at the teams that should play teams that should play slow, uh, if you look at the, like the top ten in terms of the average, this is both offense and defense. So it's teams with good offense essentially and bad defenses. Hopkins, Villanova, Denver, Stony Brook, St. Joseph's, Penn State, Princeton, Albany, Syracuse, Duke, Norton, UNC. Those are the top thirteen. Right. Um. So Denver absolutely should play slow. It makes a ton of sense for them. But Maryland is actually Maryland is 33rd or 32nd. They teams in their games, teams uh, the offense scores about 28.4 percent of the time, which is just above average. Right. And when you figure, there's some bias in that because better teams, like if you look at the very bottom, uh, there's a lot of just teams where their offense, they're just, they're just not, their players aren't skilled and the opponents aren't as skilled to be able to put up those higher numbers. So there's yep. to a there's a little bit of bias in that, in that better teams are going to score more often and give up more goals more often because their opponents are more skilled. Sure. But so, so for Maryland to be 33rd, the average is pretty with – with their team and the schedule they're playing, that's even more – I guess that's they're, – they're a team that, that tends more towards playing fast 
than just right. the, being average would indicate. And and that's and that's I think AT and I kind of like, you know, we respect the idea that you know Maryland plays slow, but we look at the guys on the team and we certainly look at you know the Rambo's out there and why is he getting the ball as much as he should given the talent that he is. Uh, and to be able to play a lot faster in that offense because that's the way it fits for him in terms of his style of play. But if you've noticed as of late, I mean, he's fitting into this offensive system enough where he's now scoring in a slow system, which I argue just as much as, you know, you just gave us the numbers for, now he's scoring three goals, four goals, three goals again, another three goals. I mean, he's scoring within this system, so now it works, I guess, right? So. Isn't there, yeah, well, isn't there an edge to a team that eventually it works for? Is there is there a top of the food chain example? So you got, you know, a guy like Rambo, who is obviously a stud player that plays, you know, in what looks like <laughs> uh, a slow styled offense, right? And then you've got the mm-hmm. other side of that with Dylan Malloy, who plays in what everybody would say is a really fast offense. Is it fair to yes. say that? You know, three goals in Maryland's offense is the same as five and a half goals in Brown's offense. Is that kind of what your what your data can? No, create? no, no. I, it's still I still think it's not. It's it's it was like four and a half versus five and a half. You can make that argument. Yeah. Um, okay. I don't I don't have the numbers offhand, but I mean Maryland is still playing, and especially with their faceoff dominance, Maryland is playing about sixty possessions a game. That's yep. like what the slow teams play, and Brown yep. plays like in the 80s. Wow. <laughs> so you're looking at about – you're looking at Maryland will have maybe 30, 35 possessions a game, and Brown will have yep. like 45. So if it was three-and-a-half goals versus four-and-a-half, you could make the argument that it's about the system. But Right, right, right. But I don't think so. And I also look at, in my opinion, when you're talking about the best player in an offense, you kind of got to factor in how good is your offense. Right. Um. And so Brown I have as 10th or 9th in adjusted offensive efficiency, and Maryland is, four, is 13th. So I feel like Brown's offense better than Maryland. But I think it's tough to make the argument that Rambo is better than Malloy. Oh, no one's making Got that it. argument, that's for sure. I mean, Dylan Malloy, I think, is probably up there the best player in the country right now. I'm just saying yep. that Rambo is finally uh, coming into – uh, you know, his own within the system that I could argue isn't providing him the outlet to be the player he should be. I mean, that's more at of least, a subjective at, question. At least, at least defended by statistics, right? Right. Yeah, I think, right. I think that's fair. Fact. I mean, but really, when I, when I look at Maryland, I would make the argument part of the reason they should play fast isn't so much Rambo. Well, well I mean, I think he fits I, – I think he do a lot of things Kavanaugh does in transition for Maryland that I think would benefit him – but it's more that they have they have so many midfielders, and they have so many uh, and they and they have Isaiah, Isaiah Davis Allen. Then why would you not want to play fast, given all the guys that they have? So I think playing slow also makes sense for a team that's not as deep. You only have one line of midfielders. You know you want to sub them off, or sub them on every time for offense. So you have them out there. When you have right. when your midfield goes eight nine guys deep, who can score? and push transition, you know, why wouldn't you want to run? Makes sense. I agree 100%. It's also like Goliath. Running, running is a Goliath strategy. Like that if you, if you have more talent, the more possessions right. there are, the less likely you are to be upset. Right. 
just right. because the the, the luck and the variability go down. That you know, a couple of shots, a couple of turnovers, they're just a bad bounce. It doesn't doesn't matter when you play a hundred possessions a game, but when you play fifty, all of a sudden every possession matters so much that you can't afford, like a couple of mistakes, a couple of things don't go your way. Um, like I right. thought that was the case with uh, Hopkins, Virginia was one of the slowest games of the season. They only played 55 possessions. Wow. And they scored on 25 of them. Wow. <laughs> wow. Uh, so in terms of slow, people see a lot of the, the goals, but they don't actually see what's actually happening in the game. I felt that way, too. I mean, I'm watching that game. I felt like, wow, this is, like, weirdly slow, but there's just a ton of goals. Yeah, so, I mean, the, the, average, the average is 71 possessions a game, and they were playing so well at 55. Yeah, so well tremendous. Pat, who's, yeah. got the, who's got the greatest – Plus minus advantage in possessions per game. Is that Brown? Uh, like, does, does Brown have Brown's playing in? You're saying Brown's average game that they play in is 80 total possessions combined per game. I ran not 80. I don't right. Yeah, yeah. Like they, yes, they were like they're okay. it's higher. It was. I want to say it was about. I ran the numbers before the Villanova game. I don't have just for them. I don't have them for everybody. So I couldn't tell you that in terms of who is playing the most possessions or who is playing. Or who has uh, the greatest pose- possession differential, right? I would imagine it's yes. with, with the best combination of face-off success and save percentage, which probably is Brown for that matter. No, no, save percentage doesn't matter. It's all about offense. Because, well, would, wouldn't, wouldn't, one thing total think saves, wouldn't total saves, every save is a possession. Yeah, but, so, okay, what you, what you got to realize so the way the way that you build possession advantage, there's only one way: is you got to score a goal and then win the next faceoff. Got it. That, that actually allows you to that's make it because take right, essentially. That's the only right. right. Outside of Otherwise that, possessions alternate. If you score a goal it. and lose the faceoff, you just went from offense uh, to defense. Yeah, got it. The, got guess, it. Yeah, that was so and dumb. So, yeah, but that, I would have thought the same thing as Towers. That makes perfect sense. So that's why teams, and, and to a certain extent, I guess also defense matters because you can't allow them to score because every time they score is an opportunity for them to make it take it. But right. that's, that's why Denver is such a possession monster because their offense is so efficient and yeah. Baptiste wins so many faceoffs that Thanks. they can make it take it so often. I think you're the uh, money ball for the cross, Pat. I think you're money ball for the cross. <laughs> and that's, that's one thing people, people get caught up in the clearing game is like, oh, you know, they didn't like they didn't have any possessions because they couldn't clear. And that's you don't maybe have offensive possessions if you can't clear, but you get a possession, your your defense wastes it. But in essence, the two uh, ways you get the ball, your offense are faceoffs and your defense getting stops to clear it. But the only way that you build a true possession advantage is is make a take it. You got to win a faceoff, or I guess you also have you get three chances at the quarters, where if you end the quarter with the ball. And then you win the next faceoff. You get two in a row. That's, you you talked to us off air about some of the more inefficiencies in the games and some of the things that pisses you off about you know people you know complaining X and Y. Um, you know certainly I'm sure I'm in the mix there uh, as opening my big mouth and saying something that probably makes you turn your head and say that doesn't make sense uh, by the numbers. What are some of those other inefficiencies that you're working on? outside of offensive, defensive efficiencies and face-offs? So a big one, if you look into, I mean, I have shooting efficiency. Well, I've written about that. And I, that hasn't gained quite as much traction as I had hoped. The one thing you were talking about before 
on the last podcast, you're, I think you said like Kavanaugh shooting twenty twenty percent. That yep. you know, Ram, Rambo is actually only shooting twenty five percent. It's not much better. Right. Uh, but you know, you know what the difference is that Maryland shoots there, but, a lot more than. No, it's that Rambo only puts. I, I forget the exact number is, but but Rambo Rambo puts far fewer of them on cage. So Rambo's shooting wow. like twenty five percent with like forty five percent of his shots on cage. So goalies yep. are saving. The big number that I look at, the easy one is, are are goalies saving less than fifty percent against you? And in right. Rambo's case, it's yes. Ram, goalies are saving far less than fifty percent against Rambo, and they're saving much more than fifty percent against Kavanaugh. That's why you know, it that's feels so different. That's interesting too. That also comes in a strategy because I can tell you for a fact that Maryland will huck the ball through the cylinder, the cylinder being the crease and everything above it, uh, to get the refs off their back so that they're not, you know, getting stall warnings every oh, single yeah. time. And the only yes. one to do that who can generate themselves a shot that looks like a shot but really isn't a shot to whip it through the cylinder is Rambo. He can do that every time. He can get you a shot through the cylinder, and it looks real every time. It's just, you know, he does it for the sake and the sacrifice of the offense. Yeah, actually, I haven't, I haven't run the numbers this year, but I can tell you last year, Maryland led the country in shots off cage per possession. <laughs> Fascinating. That sounds like Vail uh, with guys shooting the ball through the cylinder because you can get the reset on a shot clock because in Vail, there is a legitimate shot clock as soon as you get over midline and any shot within six feet of the cylinder or six feet from the net is considered a shot. And so they'll reset the, cell, uh, the reset the shot clock. It's basically doing the exact same thing in collegiate games. So the refs continue to think that you're pressing the cage, but you're really not. And they're putting shots through the cylinder constantly. So they don't have to play the defense. It's really, really, really smart. So what other inefficiencies do you see, or is that it? Is that is that one of the bigger um, ones? There's a couple. That's I mean that's a huge one. I think. Um, I like that. That one. is people are I think starting to come around on. Um, sure. Another big one, I think, is ground balls. So right now, the way stats are kept and kind of the way that people view things, people look at ground balls as a ground ball is a ground ball when you look at the stats. But in yeah. reality, there are sort of three types of ground balls. There's a face-off ground ball where yeah. it starts in sort of a neutral state, the ref's putting it on the ground, and then you're picking it up. There's yeah. a turnover ground ball where the other team has the ball, they lose it, and you pick it up. And then there's like a possession maintaining ground ball where somebody on your team drops it up, right? And then you pick it up. And so the tricky part about them is face-off ground balls and turnover ground balls are sort of valuable. Um, And it's not so much that possession maintaining ground balls aren't valuable, but the problem is there's no equivalent negative stat that goes with them. So with face-off, you have a face-off win, somebody gets the face-off loss. Like we know – we know how many opportunities there were, and so we know who's bad at them, who isn't coming up with it. With a turnover ground ball, there's a turnover. So we know who's putting it on the ground for you to pick it up. But right. with a possession-maintaining ground ball, there's no – I think of it, I would just term it a drop is what it should be called. And so the problem with that is an offense that drops the ball and picks it up again, gets a bunch of ground balls, isn't any better than one that doesn't because they're back how in the same times- state. How many times does an offensive end ground ball become contested? Because there is, in the stats, in the, in the manager's manual, there's a difference if you just drop a ball on the perimeter and more or less uncontested. It should be considered a ground ball in the stat book. Am I, right. I mean, and that, 
Well, yeah, no, that's, that's certain. Like that's, and that's also another criticism is that, that kind of subjectivity, that's where drops right. would cancel it out. Because if you knew, right. if you knew how often guys were dropping the ball and then picking it up again, it wouldn't matter because that. it would cancel out. It is essentially you're returning to the same state that it was before. So you have a negative that goes with the positive Fair enough. to, Fair to enough. balance things like out. That. I guess it, it wouldn't always be a drop, though. Would you consider somebody throwing a bad pass a drop as well? Well, or only if there's a ground ball. That? They, they would go in pairs. Oh. Every drop would go with a ground ball. I see, I see, I see. Okay. That makes sense. And so, that makes sense. So that way, like, it's sort of, you. if you had a bunch of drops, if you also had a bunch of ground balls, it wouldn't be a big deal. But now you're looking at, you potentially have guys who have a bunch of ground balls, but that may or may not be because somebody on one of their teammates drops it a bunch. I like it. And they're rescuing like them. And also it's another thing where you have a teammate who essentially is saving you from a turnover, even if you might deserve one. That there are a lot of cases. <laughs> if, it, if it's a 50-50 ground ball, if you're the guy on offense who dropped it, if, they, if the defense picks it up, that's a turnover. If your teammate right. picked it up, he gets a ground ball and you get nothing. Even right. though you may have had nothing to do with the fact that it, was a, that it wasn't a turnover. And, and the reason I realized that is I started working on – a player efficiency formula, like an overall one. And the problem is right now, without drops, you can't give guys credit for possession maintaining ground balls. The tricky part is, if you're just looking at efficiency for the, the true value of possession, you can't, count goal, you can't count a goal as ending a possession. It only, you can only end the possession when the other team gets the ball. Right. And that's Which actually, I wrote an article it, about it. that. Right, make it, take it, make it, take it, make it, take it. That's the same possession, right? You're just scoring at, say, 250% in that possession. Am I right? Right. And for value of possession, just because if you turn the ball over against Denver, uh, I think last year, I believe it was, it was, I want to say it was Georgetown, that Georgetown was up 3 nothing, and they turned the ball over. And Denver scored seven times in a row before they got it back. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, some stats with Pat here. We're going to do the best single game and worst game efficiencies in 2016. We're going to do the most improved offense defense of 2016. And then we're going to do the most improved total team, uh, both offense and defense combined, to this day today in 2016. So, Pat, give us the best single game uh, efficiency, offensive efficiency today. Uh, so this, this is not just efficiency, this is adjusted. Right, this takes out the pretenders, right? So this is against the yes. best defenses and the best offenses in the country. Yes. Right? Do you have a guess? Oh, man. Uh, let's, do, let's do offense first. I'm going to make a guess. I'm going to only guess once. I'm going to have to go with Albany Stony Brook recently, 16 goals against Stony Brook. How far? Uh, it's not a bad guess. Um, oh, that is good. number number nineteen. All right, that's not too too bad. That's not you got too, the too you bad. got the right team though. It actually is Albany. God, I'm blacking tough. It was, out. You're gonna have to tell it's, me. It's tough. It uh, it was UMass. Oh, wow. Have them that's with right. 16, 16 goals. But the, the tricky part is, you think of Albany as a super fast team. They only had there was only sixty five possessions in that game. They were sixteen of thirty three. Wow. Against against, against UMass. Yes. In UMass, let me let me pull it up real quick. Um, 
have UMass as the seventh best defense in the country. Holy smokes. So they crushed it. And again, this is for everyone listening, this is adjusted efficiency based on who you play and who you play against and how well you do against those teams. So that's really, really impressive. Albany, 16 of 33. God, I wish I coached that day. Uh, certainly as an offensive <laughs> coordinator, uh, would have been really nice. Let's go to the other side. Let's go to the best single game efficiency on defense. Uh, I'm going to make a guess here. I'm going to take a stab at a pat. I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with, uh, Yale, Maryland. I'm going to go with Yale holding Maryland to five goals, uh, in New Haven earlier in the season. How, how, how off am I? How bad was that guess? Uh, that's not terrible. That was I have it as the ninth best offense or the ninth best defensive performance. Um, so I'm getting better. I went from 19 to nine, um, <laughs> jumping 10 points. That's pretty good, Pat. So yeah, who so was the best single game efficiency on offense? Uh, number one, you're gonna kick yourself. It was Navy holding Delaware to one goal. Ah, that was dumb. That was so dumb. It got. I mean, that, it was probably the, the second best was. Uh, you know, the opposite way of Delaware holding, what, Navy to four goals in that game? It was pretty bad. I don't even know what the final uh, score was. It's six to one. Or yeah, that, like that. That, that one is up there. Um, I had that as the 19th best defensive performance. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Now, of course, we could do the best, Pat, and that's easy, and that gives high fives to people, but we got to go the opposite way because this is in-your-face lax cast. What, uh, in 2016, the worst to date offensive efficiency, let me, uh, I mean, it's, I guess it's got to be Delaware. You're going the opposite, I mean, right? I mean, it's got to be Delaware with one goal in the game, right? I mean, it's got to be the opposite uh, Let me, way. yes, it is. Delaware outpaces, so, uh, outpaces a pair of VMI games where they were held to two goals. So let's, and on go the other way, then. let's go the other oh, way, okay. then. Let's give us, outside of you, you, you VMI, excuse me, who was the worst offensive efficiency on the year? Number five. Number five is number five is was actually was the second, the fifth worst offensive performance I have is the second best defensive performance is Richmond, only scoring twice against Marquette. Right up in up in Wisconsin. That's right. It was like seven to two, nine to two, something like that. It was really yeah, but it was seven to two. Or the reason it wasn't that wasn't worse is there's only only twenty eight possessions apiece in that game. Interesting. I like how you take the possessions based off the number of goals actually doesn't become the worst. I like that. So let's go to the other side. Worst defensive efficiency in uh, 2016 so far. I'm going to have to go with, unfortunately, I'm going to have to go with Michigan's performance against Dartmouth in a 13-12 to OT loss. That, uh, that's got a race close. off there. You're close. That's number three. That's number three. Number three. Um, I'm getting better every time, Pat. That's pretty good. I'm, you got to give me. Yeah. Got to give it to me. The, th- the thing about that one is there was 36 possessions, so it was a higher. Or D- Dartmouth had 36 possessions, a little bit faster pace game. Uh, the one I have as the worst defensive performance is uh, St. Joseph's against Manhattan. They gave up Saint nine Jones. goals on t- nine goals on 28 possessions. Wow. I would have never, wow. ever have guessed that game. And to be honest, the only reason why I, I guess the Dartmouth-Michigan game, game, as you stated, it is the RPD lacrosse ball out there, my Alamada versus my former team that I coached. Um, so that's phenomenal. Um, I love these stats. So let's go to this. Uh, let's give kudos. The most improved 
offensive team in the country year to date from now since last year. Um, I'll take a guess out of Pat. I'm gonna this go one you with, should get. You're gonna kick yourself if you don't get this, if you don't get this one. Oh man, I'll tell you if it's Michigan, I'm gonna be pissed. Uh, no, no, they 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 did improve, but uh, pretty middle of the pack in terms of improvement. All right. That's okay though. That's okay. Connor Ford's doing a good job. Um, it's not close either. They're at they improved by thirteen percent. Second is eight point eight. Oh my god! And it's bothering me because you said I should get it. Uh, I'm gonna have to go with Richmond. They brought back some. They added some big pieces. They a transfer and a guy coming back from injury. Oh man, transfer and an injury. Oh boy, I'm gonna have to just go with. I, I don't know. I have no idea. Uh, Syracuse. No, uh, Villanova. All right, the transfer and the injury. That, that, that is the dumbest. I can't believe I didn't guess them. Of course it's Villanova. I mean, they're scoring, what, 13 or something goals a game. Uh, I should have known that. Uh, yeah, that I have, so I have them going from oh, – they, they went from 27% adjusted efficiency last year, which was just slightly below average, to about 40% this year. 40. Wow. That's incredible. Which, and obviously that, that's what happens when you bring in the first-team All-American attackman like uh, Jake McCaff. That's going to happen yeah, for you. Yeah, and get, uh, get John Clue back from injury. True. And obviously, like we just mentioned before, with the face-offs, getting uh, Paul Modesto wasn't nearly as much of an impact as he has been this year for them. Uh, you know, that, that all helps. Let's go with uh, most improved defense of 2016. I have no idea um, on this one. I'm not even going to venture a guess. Who is it? He's got this one. Oh, this one. This was actually another... Uh, another one that I think you guys got kind of wrong on the podcast, uh, it's Stony Brook. Stony Brook. Well, we did. We mentioned that they were – I mentioned that they not only were they scoring 13.67, I, I don't know how many weeks ago that was, Pat, but I said, I think – or I know, you know what I did? I, I mentioned it on last, uh, last Sportsnet. I mentioned on last Sportsnet that not a lot of people are talking about how they're uh, holding teams to about seven or eight goals at that time. I think that was a couple weeks ago, but they've done pretty well since. Um, so I've noticed that for sure. I think that, you know, Stony Brook's defense has improved. I think they've done a great job, but I didn't know that they were number one in the country in terms of improved uh, defense. So that's great to know. Yeah, they're a perfect example of what happens. They were getting their goaltending. They're only getting like a 43% save percentage. And they went, uh, Zach Alvary transferred, and he splits time with, I think, a sophomore um, right. who with wasn't the starter Matt last year. Yeah, yeah, something like Matt that. Yeah. He's doing a great and job, so, too. They've both been over uh, right around 60 or so percent. They've been doing very, very well. Both. Also, an interesting note, too, Notre Dame is the 17th most improved defense. Interesting. They're, so they're just getting better. The, the rich keep getting richer? Yes, there's certainly a case there. I have them, at, on an adjusted basis, I have them at like 16%. Um, and last year, Maryland was number one, just, just under 19%. So, I mean, Notre Dame's defense this year has been – that's, it's covered up part of their offense. That's been part of what has that. covered up their offense. Because actually their offense, if you go the other way, their offense right. um, is the, the the least improved offense. I have them dropping dropping 11% in adjusted efficiency. Who? That's incredible. So they're the, they're the least improved. And who is the least improved on the offensive end? Oh, that, that is on the offensive excuse end. Excuse me, on the, defense, on the defensive end. I apologize. On the defensive end. It is... And then St. Joseph's Interesting. is playing at 9.7% 9, 9. worse in adjusted efficiency. 
That's really, really interesting because I feel like St. Joe's is having a very good year. I don't think that they're having a bad year. I mean, obviously, you know, with with the gives and takes, I, I think that they're doing a good job. I think Taylor Ray has done a great job in Philly. Uh, but that's surprising to me. I wouldn't statistically put them in, whether they drop up and down, I wouldn't put them as the worst improved or least improved team uh, in 2016. But the stats are the stats. Let's go to the last stat. The most improved total team of 2016 from 2015. This is combining both offense and defense. Right. And so it, to say it's the most improved team kind of ignores faceoff. Sure. So, but but it's just on the offensive and defensive end, uh, do you have any, any guesses? I'm going to have to, I, you know, when I first thought about this, I, I felt like, you know, Villanova has got to be up there as the total improved they're, they're team. They're number two. They're number two. Number two. So, I, again, I improved again, Pat. I went from 19-9 to number three to number two. Uh, so that's pretty good. You know, Villanova's my guess. I don't know if I have the number one. It's tough because they improved roughly equally in offense and defense, but it's, uh, it's Navy. Ah, uh, yes. That makes total sense, actually. It makes total sense. What a year Navy's had so far uh, in terms of my picks and how I thought they are going to fare against other teams. They've done great this year. Um, obviously, I'm a big fan of Ricky Soul. He's a great guy. He's former my, my former coach uh, and certainly recruited me at Dartmouth. Uh, so I have the utmost respect to what Ricky's doing at Navy. But, Pat, listen, man, this has uh, been really great. Uh, your statistical analysis of the game uh, has been next to nobody. Um, you know, certainly we, we like to challenge you all the time on the Twitter machine, uh, but you do a good job defending yourself. You know, you've done a lot of great things for this sport. I can't thank you enough for not only that, but certainly joining our show today. Uh, it's been great. Really, really appreciate it, man. man. Thanks for talking, man. Uh, thanks, thanks for having me. Um, it's been it's been fun. I can never talk about can never spend too long talking about lacrosse stats, uh, and it's uh, it's fun stumping you with those last couple and the guesses is pretty. Pretty fun, for, pretty fun for me. I don't know how fun it was for the audience to listen to uh, you guessing wrong, but but I enjoyed it. Um, so That's hopefully good. they do as well. That's good, man. Well, I appreciate it. Listen, if you're on the Twitter machine, check out Pat McEwen at Lax Film Room. He does a lot of stuff for Inside Lacrosse. Of course, check out Inside Lacrosse at Inside Lacrosse. Uh, you'll be hearing more from Pat and his articles, and certainly you'll be seeing more of his vines and videos on YouTube. Subscribe to his YouTube uh, page. Uh, you can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Uh, and, of course, you can check us out on Twitter at In Your Face Blacks. Uh, enjoy the weekend. Andy and I will be back later on this week to get our picks in before the weekend. But until then, enjoy the weekend. Thanks so much. And uh, we'll see you again.